I don't believe that we should ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of government. Welcome everyone, we're Simply Bitcoin. We break down the news, the daily fail, meme review, software releases, hardware releases, and the websites by plebs. Joining us today, fellow Bitcoiner and author of Layered Money, I'm talking about Nick Batia is joining us, but right now we are diving into the numbers. Let's do it. Number time. Brought to you by Bitcoin 2022. It's going to be the largest Bitcoin conference ever hosted in sunny, sunny Miami Beach, Florida. Conference is coming up, guys. April 6th and 9th. Get your tickets now. Jordan Peterson, Naim Bukele, Michael Saylor, Saifedean, Jack Maulers, Adam Back, Senator Cynthia Lummis, all of them are going to speak at this awesome conference. And you can take advantage of the link down below for 10% off your tickets to the biggest, largest Bitcoin conference ever, Bitcoin 2022. At the time of this recording, the block height is 725,477. The Bitcoin price, 43,540. Chain rewrite days, 713. Total public lightning capacity, 3,447.70. Moscow time, 2297 blocks to the halving 114,523 and the samurai whirlpool unspent capacity samurai whirlpool is a coin join or collaborative spend service the unspent capacity of that pool is 4380.62 that went up nico the numbers the numbers bro so Something the last couple of days, if you guys haven't been living under a rock, we had a massive green candle. But again, we don't talk. We don't like to talk about the price. You know, again, you can't really. That's not really speculation. That's actually what happened. Right. Uh, Phil, how big was how big was the pump? It was crazy. It, was crazy. I, I, it seems that it was about 5K. It may it, have been a slightly over 5K. So it was a big pump. Right. So that that's big not pump. what I want to talk about. But if you actually look at some metrics, right. What happened was fascinating, and I think this was really interesting. And I think it's a you know let's let's kind of you know get everyone's thoughts on this, right? This is Glassnode, um, and a very interesting metric. It's called Bitcoin number of addresses with balance of one k or above. Now, something really fascinating happened yesterday, right? Check this out. Let me minimize this so you guys can see. Right here's the number of Bitcoin addresses of one k drops. Right, there's only two thousand. Check this out, Phil. Look what happened yesterday. Oh my gosh. That I don't think that's that the last time that happened really was in the beginning of 2019, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden out of nowhere, right, we had a giant accumulation going up. Now, there's people on Twitter that are saying, "Oh, that's just people reorganizing their addresses or custodians doing that." But I don't believe them and the reason I don't believe that is because all of a sudden we had a 5k candle. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we had a 5K candle and we had a jump in addresses that have 1K Bitcoin or more from 2,112 addresses to 2,259 addresses. So that's 100 addresses that all of a sudden they had 1K Bitcoin or more, right? And 1K Bitcoin, mm -hmm. 1,000 times 43,000, that's a lot of money, right? Yeah. I'm going to say the signal is that first that that first candle that you showed from 2019 right because we were still in the if i because bitcoin time completely screws me up i i think that we were still in the bear market at that point and we were just starting to pick up or maybe not even but the point is is that it was 
It was a time when, quote unquote, Bitcoin was dying or dead. And yet, take a look at the activity we just saw yesterday at these price levels. And then we couple that with the amount of the amount of Bitcoin that is locked in lightning channels that is growing and the development. Uh, I, th I think we're I hate the hopium, but right now I'm feeling very hopeful. Absolutely. Nick, again, you know, but, but again, this is total speculation because there's absolutely no way to know what's going on. But, you know, if you had to ballpark it, right, what like that is a huge you, you saw it, right? The graph speaks for itself. It was literally a candlestick, candlestick, 90 degrees all the way up. So what, what do you what do you think that could be? Well, my favorite uh, chatter on Twitter was that it was 100 Russian oligarchs that all of a sudden now have 40 million in Bitcoin each in these uh, single addresses. Uh, some people had fun with that. Um, you know, I, it it could have been a withdrawal. We were, you know, saying something about exchanges. Um, I believe something like a withdrawal, uh, a mass withdrawal, maybe something like that, where you're seeing. Um, you know, maybe people that are involved in the, the swift, swift ramifications or something along those lines that they're taking Bitcoin off their exchanges into their own custody or some sort of reorg, which, um, you know, seems seems likely with such a jarring jump. Um, but it is important to put it in the context of war and um and how we haven't seen a war like this in, in quite a long time. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's understandable that something unexpected could happen from the blockchain data perspective. Absolutely. And, and so do you think so? My my dad kind of comes from that perspective, too, which was and he told me he's like, uh, Nico, this might be the catalyst that, you know, essentially props up Bitcoin and shows to the world like, holy crap, right? And just to kind of give you guys a refresher of what has happened in the lot in this last year, really, we had Canada, the Canadian government banning, uh, you know, uh, uh, or essentially freezing people's accounts because, you know, they were donating to certain political, you know, uh, movements and stuff. And then Bitcoin was the only thing standing, right? Bitcoin was the only thing that they could not freeze. And then we had not too long ago, you had the uh, the the Ukrainian government raising money directly from the whole world directly in Bitcoin, and I think they had a shitcoin. I think they had Ethereum as well, right? So, Nick, do you, do you believe that as well? Like, do you think that this might be the catalyst that you know puts Bitcoin in the eyes of everyone? It really shows everyone that it cannot be stopped. Yeah, I'm more in the camp of the slow and steady adoption. I tweeted something yesterday about hyper Bitcoinization versus the slow and steady Bitcoinization. I believe every one of these events geopolitically uh, attracts people to Bitcoin at the margin. And it shows the use case of Bitcoin one thing at a time. And the Russia-Ukraine conflict in which Russia is looking to potentially use Bitcoin as a cross-border payment rail and Ukraine looking to use Bitcoin as a fundraising tool. Both sides of the war are using Bitcoin. It is without a doubt a, a really big important moment for Bitcoin in its young history. But I don't think it's, you know, before Russia, Ukraine, after Russia, Ukraine. I think it's just this steady adoption. El Salvador being one of those moments where people thought, is this the moment? No, it, it, it's one thing at a time. 
And this is another one of those things, but it's a big one. Awesome. Yeah. I, I really like that perspective. The uh, um, showing Bitcoin's use cases one at a time. I, I, I really like that a lot. And it also kind of it also kind of made me think of this uh, this point about um, I've heard people talk about this, you know, the the slow unwinding of the current financial system. So, you know what? I, I think to your point, Nick, I mean, slow and steady would probably just be better for everyone. Right. When you think about when you think about the Federal Reserve and the way that they've responded to events uh, since 2007, each one of those times could have been the end of the dollar. But it's not each time because the Fed is willing to come in, step in, ex we call it extend, the, extend and pretend or kick the can down the road, whatever they're doing, they will continue to do that. Assuming that the Fed is not going to kick the can down the road next time we have a financial crisis and there will be another time um it's silly we have to assume that they are going to have the slowest death possible for the dollar instead of anything that's going to happen in rapid fashion so uh i believe bitcoin will again attract the adoption and the users on the way out for the dollar and it's just going to happen over a long period of time so be, this is is a i'll just say this guys this is a very fascinating time to be alive. You know, this is so many things are just happening all at once. Um, it, 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 the, the, the catalyst was really, you know, the election of Donald Trump. It started just like things, just Band-Aid just kept ripping off and all these things that you would think that you wouldn't see just you started happening you know the war in ukraine the the you know bitcoin becoming legal tender in el salvador so many event bitcoin being banned in china right there was a recent uh, announcement that the supreme court in china if they catch you transacting in bitcoin you get 10 years in prison like it, it's, it's 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 just crazy how all of this is playing out fascinating time and you know, there's no better time in history, I think, to, to stack Bitcoin. It's always a good time to and, stack Bitcoin. And 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 let's not ignore the fact that there are plenty, I don't want to quantify it, but let's say plenty of Chinese millionaires and billionaires and Communist, uh, Communist Party officials that own Bitcoin. They have their own cold storage situation. And because we know how much Bitcoin was mined in China over the last many years. So we know for sure that they're hoarding Bitcoin in China, even though they're making it illegal for their citizens to mine it, et cetera. So um, there's always, even though you see the ban, there's always another story or another layer behind it. Absolutely. To Nick's, to Nick's ahead, point, though, sorry, to, to Nick's point, though, this is something that I learned back in 2017, and I don't remember who said it first, but governments who censor the most need censor-resistant money the most. Absolutely. And, and there you go. <laughs> just points that, you know, just proves that right there with China. And I totally agree with that. I mean, come on. They understand the system that they're living in. You're going to tell me that the people higher up elite, the, the ones capable with the means? Of course. Of course, Absolutely. they're hoarding Bitcoin. Oh, man. It, the, the, but at the end of all this, it really shows to the world that the incentives of Bitcoin are irresistible. And unless governments replace that those incentives, which I don't think they'll be able to. Right. Uh, you know, there's always going to be someone trying to stack sats or trying to mine 
But anyways, Phil, it's time for the Daily Fail. Brought to you by Amber App. Check them out, amber.app. It's the easiest way to buy Bitcoin, a stacking app by actual Bitcoiners. Low fees, fair spreads, smart automation. The link is down below. Amber, the smart way to stack sets. These are cringe. I'll just I'll just start that off right there right off the bat. These are these are cringe fails. And you know what though? They reminded me a lot of when I was uh, an early equity investor when I first got into it and I made a lot of mistakes. So with that intro, we are going to dive into stuff, tokens that don't need to exist for use cases that right now if they were monet if they could be monetized they would be, and when they can be monetized, they are. Anyways, let's dive right into it. Smart Chem's token launch to push for eco-friendly cleaning products. Nice. It never stops with the ESG stuff, Nico. It, even if it's just these kind of creepy, weird little shit coins that are completely insignificant, it doesn't matter because they're always just putting that message out there for you. Anyways, here we go. So the, 50, the Euro 50 billion global industrial cleaning product market is having a significant ecological impact. Smart Chem uses its patent chemical technology of intelligent fluids to provide a safer alternative to remove grease, dust and dirt with ingredients that are biodegradable and pH neutral. If you're wondering why this needs to be money, let me continue. <laughs> to raise awareness and allow for ease of access to eco-friendly products, SmartChem is holding a token sale. Very clever. Here we go. SMAC acts as, and that's the shitcoin, by the way, acts as the native utility token for the Smart Chem platform. Unlike other tokens available on the market, Smack is more than just a token for transactions. Part of the Change to Green campaign, supporting the token means that individuals and firms represent a commitment to a better earth, sustaining the environment, commitment to a positive impact, backing up the efforts of environmental NGOs, raising their support of the UN's sustainable, what is that? Sustainable development goals. None of that needs to be money. Anyways, other blockchain-based tokens only incite investors from a financial impact. While Smack also has a monetary benefit, it has a fallback option. And this is, this is the part right here. It can be redeemed on the SmartChem platform in lieu of purchasing any cleaning product offered by intelligent fluids. Okay, okay. So it's a gift card. It's a gift card that if you decide not to hold the token, you can buy their crappy cleaning product. Anyways, okay, so look, before I dive into the next fail, I just want to go back to my point about equities. So once upon a time, there was a company, which I completely forget the name of, that was going to clean the oceans. They were going to clean up all the oceans. They had developed these very sophisticated sponges. They were going to put these sponges in, in the, the most toxic places of the ocean. And these sponges just absorb all the grease, all the oil. And then the company just comes by, picks them up, and supposedly they can be disposed of in an eco-friendly way. Well, I got to tell you, this made sense to 22-year-old or 23-year-old Phil. Okay, 23 year old version of me was like, yeah, let's fix the environment. This is genius. Sponges that suck up all the crap in the ocean. Oh, so man. I bought shares. Do you know what those shares are worth today? The company doesn't exist anymore. That should give you a hint. Those shares are worth zero. Now, 
going back to the original point about this, this particular product, you don't have to invest in a Chuck E. Cheese token, okay, in order to buy, you know, essentially a scam offering. You can just go do what I do, go get an equity, and if they can pull it off, the share price will actually go up. And because it's shares, you have voting rights. You get a little bit more than a token that is completely detached from anything of value under that token. Anyways, so before we move to the next one, I, I just I as soon as I saw that I had to give that story because this is nonsense. It doesn't need to be a token. Cleaning up the ocean does not need to be money. This is a ruse. That's all it is. Man, uh, dude. So this, uh, this, this is my favorite part of the show when I watch it. But when I go through it, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, dude. Give it to the shitcoiners to always come up with phenomenal ideas and phenomenal names to take away your Bitcoin. I, I, I think the cleaning product token, I think it's it went a little bit too far. Uh, but, you know, anyways, uh, I'm still I still feel uncomfortable. So I can't think of things. Nick, what are your thoughts, Any thoughts on, on this? Token? Um, I will bring it back to what Phil was talking about with shares. Um this is this is the ICO scam all over again, where the coin, the token, doesn't mean anything in a court of law from United States property law perspective, from a security perspective. It doesn't mean anything, um, not to mention that we don't need to monetize uh, cleaning product gift cards. Um, I'm all for cleaning the ocean. Um, find out, I, you know, in a more serious, you know, way, when we talk about all this ESG, ESG stuff and, um, you know, across the planet, we know how much, um, I think malice is in there in terms of the West not wanting China and India to develop, um, especially China by restricting their coal usage. So there's that whole perspective, but then there's also the perspective that corporations, multinational corporations are polluting the planet in a very um, significant way. So what are, I do like uh, to find the good actors within the ESG narrative that are actually trying to help the planet in real ways. Um, I don't like the climate change narrative. I like the pollution narrative because pollution is something we can see with our own eyes and uh, you know that trash pile in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. These are all things I actually genuinely feel passionate about. So. I do hope that, um, you know, as a society, we can find ways to clean the ocean and, and other things like that without shit coins and ICOs and anything and these, to do with a token. And these giant bureaucratic institutions as well, right? I, I exactly. Exactly. Phil, what is the next fail we're going to want to tear our eyes out on? <laughs> Get ready. All right, here we you know, go. The, the best part of the show is that we get, you know, some of the brightest people in, bit, in the Bitcoin industry. <laughs> and this is what Phil makes us talk about. This is what I make people watch. <laughs> it's brutal. No, but look, it, it's really good because we have because we have, you know, the, the brightest minds in Bitcoin coming on the show and examining these things with us. Number one, they can call us out. Right. They, they can sit there and be like, Phil, you're totally full of shit. This thing is totally <laughs> legit. OK, and here's why. Haven't had that happen yet, but who knows? 
maybe we're wrong about shit coins not okay anyways <laughs> i proceed okay let's let's dive into let's dive into this one um i, I think that this was another share from fellow bitcoiner um at Hans Films, I think it was him that, that, that shared this with us. Let's dive into it. A project called Fries Deo raises $5.4 million to purchase fast food restaurants. That's right, guys. The first, the first fail had a theme, and this one is very similarly themed as well. Anyways, let's dive into it. A new Deo dedicated to purchasing fast food restaurants called Fry's Deo has raised more than 5.4 million to achieve its goal. That's right, we don't even need to go through this whole thing. All we have is this tiny little piece. Last week, Bitcoin.com reported on a newly launched Deo that is attempting to purchase the NFL, the NFL's Denver Broncos football franchise for $4 billion. Ever since 2016's Genesis Deo, which we covered a few days ago, the Deo hack, and subsequent hack that followed, Deo concepts have grown in popularity and security seems stronger. That means nothing. That means nothing at all. All I understood was, hey, there was this massive rug pull through this, you know, through this loophole. We should do more products that involve this loophole. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's all I understood. Okay, so look. A deo for fast food restaurants. I am going to help everyone out and know this is not investment advice in any way, shape or form. Again, I want to show you that if you want to own a piece of multiple restaurants, you don't need a shit coin and you actually can have voting rights if that's what you desire. And you can get paid a dividend even if you want. Let's examine Darden Restaurants. All right. This is a company out of the US and lo and behold, Darden Restaurants owns a whole bunch of brands. You can buy shares of Darden Restaurants if you want, okay? They go for about $145 a share. But guess what? That gives you voting rights, okay? You don't need a Deo where you have absolutely no... You, you, again, you, it's a representation of ownership. You have no owner, ownership over any of this. That token can go straight to zero, and you will have no recourse, okay? So if you wanna own a bunch of restaurants, don't be an idiot, go and buy some shares, okay? In Canada, there's another company called Mighty Food Group, and they own all of these restaurants. Do you notice how what I'm showing you is what that garbage Deo is trying to do, pretending that they're offering some type of value to the market? Don't get fooled by this crap. These, these Deos, these are just liquidity pools designed to rug pull you, okay? Nothing else, none of this needs to be money, and that liquidity is not for you, it's for someone else to take. Anyways, you want to own a piece of the restaurants? Do it correctly. Don't go with this garbage shitcoin imitation. Man, uh, give it to the shitcoiners to come up with anything and everything, like I always say, to try to get you to willingly sell your Bitcoin for their shitcoin. So, yeah, like the, the branding, the marketing, it's genius, but that's all it is. It's branding and marketing. There's nothing below that. What you said, Phil, and, the go and Nick actually brought a really good point earlier in the first fail, right, which is essentially you get no legal protection. NFTs are the same. You don't, there's no copyright protection for NFTs either, right? So why would there's I- There's no court precedent. Correct. So why would I buy 
why would I buy the DAO if I'm not protected? It doesn't make sense, right? But again, it doesn't need to make sense. All these people are concerned about is you willingly selling your Bitcoin, getting exciting about, getting excited about it so that they can enrich themselves with Bitcoin because that's what all these shitcoin devs do. And you get stuck holding a worthless token, right? So yeah, uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, two quick thoughts here. Um, I'm not going to touch the fries thing. It's just too ridiculous. But let's talk about this uh, decentralized autonomous organization concept for a second. Okay, uh, ignoring the 2016 hack in which we've proven that uh, Ethereum is a is a centralized product, and you know, with one chain rollback, it's more than zero, and therefore, um, you know, it's a centralized um, um, offering. But with the constitution bid that we had a few months ago, just to bring everyone up to speed, a group tried to buy um, the U.S. constitution and was outbid. And then you think about the Broncos $4 billion bid here. The idea that you would pre-announce your bid is the most stupid auction behavior I've ever seen in my life. So it just makes no sense that you would pre-announce the goal just so that somebody else can bid. 4.1 billion and take it from you. It's it's just ridiculously stupid. Then when the constitution bid failed because they pre-announced it and Ken Griffin outbid it, you know, outbid them easily because he knew what number to eclipse. Um, when because it's all smart contract based and they had to put their money in and then get their money out, they spent so much on gas, which whatever the hell that is that uh, people took massive capital loss just doing a failed bid for the constitution. So like you could have written on the paper that I will commit this and done it in a, in a private way that doesn't actually cost physically any money when committing or, or decommitting from that. So yeah, there's just a lot of stupidity here. I hope I covered some of it. Uh, absolutely. You know Oh, Phil, you actually I, covered that. We did a daily fail on the Constitution. <laughs> that's right. We That was one of our daily fails. And you bring up an excellent point about publicizing the bid beforehand. That is pure marketing. That, well, that's all it is, right? Because because that, that's what it is. They're, and I say this a million times over. That all they're doing is selling the sizzle. You get this idea in your head. Hey, look, this organization is going to own a national football team. This organization is going to own a piece of the Constitution. Like, you know, so all of a sudden you start to think all of this imaginary hopium type of stuff. But really, at the end of the day, none of this needs to be money. None of it needs to be monetized. This is just it. All it is is designed to separate you from your time value. That's all it is. Dude, it, it, man, it is. It's it's fascinating to see all this play out. Um, people are going to scam. Uh, you know, this is why you should only stick to Bitcoin. This is why, you know, we're Bitcoin only. I think all of these coins, they suffer from one thing, right? Is they don't need to be, to I mean, two things really. They don't need to be tokens and the monetary policy or the ability for a human being to manipulate money for their advantage is not taken out of the equation. Only Bitcoin fixes that. So, man, excellent fails, fries, and 
What is it? Restaurant fries? And what was the other one, Phil? What was the other one? Fries and uh, some oceans. company. The oceans. The oceans. The oceans. There Thank we you. go. There we go. <laughs> the oceans. Anyways, let us know down in the comments, guys. Comment, comment, comment. But anyways, Phil, it's time for the Daily Meme Review. Brought to you by Citadel 21. It's the best Bitcoin cultural zine. It's stories, articles, comics by actual Bitcoiners. The cover is different every volume. This is volume 10, it just came out. All the artwork is by Bitcoiners and they're scarce. There's only a thousand physical copies made per volume. Get your print of Citadel 21 today. All right, everybody, first meme for today is brought to us by a legendary meme lord. He came up with Laser Ray Tail 100K. Well, he was part of the crew that came up with Laser Ray Tail 100K. RD underscore BTC. Anyways, this will be interesting. Super Fowers fucking with the monetary rails. Bitcoiners in the back. Excellent template. Very good meme. I love that template. Brought to us by Sal. Uh, check this out. Reporters uniform until February 2022. Reporters uniform from February 23, 2022. It's so true. Okay, moving on to the next one by Bitcoin Leota. If you still don't own Bitcoin after the last two years, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> With the sun in the background. It's so good, dude, because you think it's going to say something serious and inspirational, you know? All right, next one by Pubby. Good luck to everyone trying to sort out all the propaganda, disinformation, gaslighting going on with the world today. It's seemingly endless Ukraine, commie, NATO, media, US, Russia. Thing that I cannot say. All right, next one. Brought to us by Luke. It's getting tough out there. I'm doing my best, but if you feel like if I ever made a mistake, let me know. Me after trying to figure out what news is real, what news isn't regarding Ukraine and Russia. <laughs> it's so true. I have it no. I, I still have no idea what's going on. Anyways, um, here we go. Next one's brought to us by Honk. Honk Capital, BTC Padre. You can see after Putin invaded, the M2 money supply exploded. We need liquidity to combat these problems. <laughs> That's the best one. Okay. Awesome memes by some awesome plebs for that film. I'm going to give a very special score. It's a box. But in the box, it's a little mouse. And one beat AirPod thing. Only one? Just one. Not two. That box is a, the box not, is a good idea. Not the pair. Just one. Literally one. And the mouse. Oh, yeah. Is that a, is that a Disney mouse? I don't think we could say Disney. We can't say Disney. It, it, okay, is that a cartoon mouse? Yes, that is well a, known. It's a cartoon mouse. Cartoon mouse that's well known. Okay, cool. Well, you know what? Like I said yesterday, guys, I am totally running out of stuff in my basement because I'm moving. So we are going with. <laughs> we are going with. This wrist guard. Oh, very that's good. right from skateboarding because when you bail You usually land on your wrists and eventually your hands. Well, they're not in good shape. It's true. It's very true Very so, good score. Phil. Wrist guard. Uh, anyways, Nick, what would you give those awesome memes? Um, I'm gonna give it a BA2 plus because there were two memes in there that uh, Really had really had me laughing pretty hard <laughs> <laughs> That's very I'm, a, good I'm a huge I'm a huge meme fan and Bitcoin memes is I mean it's where it's why I'm here let's be honest absolutely it, it, they Nick gets know, it Nick gets it so we've been saying guys right in the narrative trench warfare that we're currently fighting 
if tweets are uh, if tweets are bullets, memes are freaking artillery. But anyways, guys, we want to know if you agree with our scores, you disagree, let us know down in the comment section. Comment, 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 help us defeat the shitcoin channels. Of course, join our Telegram group, link us some dank, dank Bitcoin memes to review. And of course, make sure to subscribe to us on alternative video platforms like Rumble.com and our personal favorite, BitcoinTV.com. They don't censor there because it's Bitcoin TV. But anyways, Phil, it's time for the daily news. Brought to you by CryptoCloaks.com. They make the best 3D printed Bitcoin merch, like the famous 3D printed Bitcoin art sculpture. Opens up, you put your favorite hardware wallet in there, and you can get this in any custom color your heart desires. CryptoCloaks.com. All right, guys, so we're just gonna, you know, talk about Nick and, you know, not talk about Nick. We're gonna talk about Nick, but we're gonna talk about what Nick is expert on, right? Uh, He wrote this awesome book called Layered Bunny, and we're gonna get to that, but first, we're gonna talk about a tweet that Nick accidentally covered in the fail, so we're gonna (laughs) retouch it again. Uh, We're gonna elaborate a little bit on it, but Nick tweeted yesterday, I'm realizing that I believe much more in slow Bitcoinization rather than hyper-Bitcoinization, slow and steady adoption while we're in the race. So I'm not gonna ask Nick what he said during the fail, but I'm gonna ask him why he thinks that. Nick, what what makes you think that? What made you change? Or would you all were, were you always kind of just waiting and see? You never bought the idea of hyper Bitcoinization. So, like, explain your logic. <laughs> My favorite reaction was there were a few dot ETHs that were uh, label me labeling this tweet as cope. Um, I found that really really funny because. They think that the narrative of hyper Bitcoinization is the one and only narrative that all Bitcoiners for all times have ever gone with and have to go with in the future, which is uh, pre- pretty ridiculous. To answer your question, though, I've never uh, believed in uh, a hyper Bitcoinization scenario, but I, I will say that when the article was written many years ago, it was speculative it was also theoretical and it was also um a forecast as well that adoption would keep going for this thing that had very little adoption at the time i believe hyper bitcoinization was written in 2012 or 13 or 14 so it it was a really really long time ago um i've never believed in this idea that we would just rapidly go to a bitcoin future you know right away uh my book covers this, how I explain that gold has unraveled as a m- many thousand year story. And in the monetary systems perspective, a seven, 800 year story there. Bitcoin story is going to take decades. I think that's very, it's always been obvious to me that something like this will take a long time to unravel, as well as the fact that we had one of the first things that attracted me to Bitcoin was when I started to understand the discrepancy between the amount of assets in the world and the amount of safe assets in the world. So that's like looking at the US Treasury market, which is today at 30 trillion, but the, the total assets, if you include stocks, bonds, and property, let's say, is something like half of one quadrillion. So, you know, at least 10 times the size of the safe asset base is the total asset base. Now, with gold being only one third of the treasury asset base, it makes Bitcoin, which is a fraction of gold, 
it makes Bitcoin to me um, an obvious play to reach gold at the very minimum. That there's so many assets in the world that when they get demonetized, this is something Sailor talks about, demonetizing stocks, demonetizing property, that money finds its way out of assets that were previously held only for their monetary purpose, not for their real purpose, which is voting rights in companies, uh, productive land, all these things. It makes Bitcoin very obvious to me. This was my original Bitcoin thesis in 2016. Uh, Tour de Meester, a popular Bitcoiner on Twitter, his work from 2013 to 2015 was the stuff that I binged in 2016 when I was falling down the rabbit hole, as well as Adam Back uh, and, and, and things like that. So I've always believed in slow Bitcoinization. I think it's easier to talk about now because I've never used the I've never used the word hyper Bitcoinization in any of my written material. I think that should also explain to people, readers or new people that are finding my work for the first time that this is not something that I've you know been married to. Uh, I'm much more in this slow and steady camp, and I think that every like the Canadian truckers and the Russia Ukraine crisis are both perfect examples of how it hits heads you know the uh, mainstream news headline news that bitcoin is being used for canada bitcoin's being used in the eastern european war and then what happens does bitcoin go up by a hundred percent does it go to a million dollars do you know 50 countries adopt bitcoin as legal tender in the next 30 days no none of that stuff happens in fact the price cannot even be correlated to any one geopolitical event ever so how do we how is that hyper bitcoinization it's not. It's just slow and steady. And um, maybe I'll be wrong when we, you know, somebody said, oh, you're you're um, you're not understanding that the hyper Bitcoinization is basically one day in the future to the next day where, OK, it happened in, in the most rapid way that it could have. Well, OK, maybe I'll be wrong in a few years if we go from, you know, one speed to the next. But I just. I just view this as a long uh, journey. Phil? I think, yeah, I think, you know, you bring up a really good point about hyper-Bitcoinization because for me, every single time I saw that term, I, I came into to Bitcoin around uh, late 2016 and I had only heard that term maybe a year or so later. And, and for me, I never really... I feel like it's very much subject to interpretation. Like, I feel like the hopium, I'm sorry to say it this way, but like the hopium sellers, right? They want us to think that hyper-Bitcoinization is this like turn of a switch or this, this moment in time where everything else changes and all of a sudden we go forward. But to your point, I feel like maybe it's just a poor way to use that word, but all of this is Bitcoinization. Right. Mm -hmm. All of these little steps, what you just talked about, you know, Ukraine and Russia, the China ban, you know, Intel coming to the table and providing, you know, starting to create uh, starting to build their second generation um, miner. Like to me that like, I, I don't know, I, I guess I've always I've always just kind of stayed away from trying to define a timeline because I'm really um, I'm really knowledgeable about the fact that my timelines are going to be biased based on my incentives and, and my desire. Absolutely. Yeah. And think, of, you know. think about the fact that, um, you know, to defend the hyper Bitcoinization narrative, which you say is up for interpretation, 
if we think about monetary human history as a 5,000 year story, if Bitcoin rapidly achieves money in 20 years, that counts as hyper Bitcoinization because 20 years in a 5,000 year story mm -hmm. is pretty fucking fast. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> so I, you know, you, you do have to put it in context and um, it is a descriptive, it's just a way to describe a, an adoption cycle. And I support, you know, the concepts in it, but maybe if we want to put a timeline on it, if you want to describe hyper as something that happens within months or a year, it's that's not something that I necessarily believe in. Absolutely. Agreed. I, I, I love the way that you explain it. Nick, I can't help but to think when so when you are describing the process, right? Look, there's going to be definitely value from other assets to Bitcoin, right? Like you said. But I think in the process, I think that really takes away power from governments, right? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, you were describing that, and then that just was like a red flag in my head, right? So the bond market, you said it was you know thirty trillion dollars, or what did you say was the the U.S. Treasury market is thirty trillion, um, and then the U.S. total bond market is about double that, sixty trillion, and the global bond market's about a hundred trillion. So, and, and I'm gonna make this I'm, I'm gonna define it like a pleb nick so feel free to correct me but i'm so you know bonds are one of the ways that the u.s government raises money is that correct to say that yes and clearly right bitcoin provides a better solution for people trying to store value so w would it be a stretch to say that it's a threat to the bond market it takes away it takes away power Right, because this is how the U.S. government raises money. If people decide to put their money in Bitcoin instead, wouldn't you say that's a threat? How are governments responding to that? How do you see this playing out? Yes. So, if Bit if people choose Bitcoin or investors choose Bitcoin over government bonds, whether they're U.S. Treasuries or German Boons, etc., that does pose a threat to governments because it impacts their ability to finance themselves. Um, we are not seeing that today in, in any material way, I would say. Um, at the institutional level where, let's say, uh, you know, the U.S. Treasury auctions over $100 billion of of gross securities every week. And um, that includes bills all the way out to 30, uh, you know, uh, seven day bills all the way out to 30 year bonds. So that volume, let's say the, the gross issuance in a month from from the Treasury Department might equal the entire market cap of Bitcoin, which is, you know, like 700 billion, 800 billion. Right. So. They, they're just not in the same ballpark yet. And I listen, I'm long Bitcoin. I'm long Bitcoin personally and in my career. So I think this is the direction we're going. But w when you wanted to have the conversation about Bitcoin and its store of value advantages taking away from the U.S. government's ability to finance, finance itself, we just are not there yet. We're not there anytime in the next couple of years either from the U.S. government's perspective. So, but it's not something to ignore and I'm not dismissing your question. It's just materially, it's not there. It's the same reason, Nico, why Russia 
is not going to be using Bitcoin only to replace SWIFT tomorrow. It's not. It's already made, you know, a minimum of eight years of preparations. And actually, if you go back to the China agreement bilateral, you have 12 years of preparation that Russia, you know, is doing for to avoid SWIFT sanctions and the dollar. And it's not Bitcoin. Okay. That doesn't mean that some oligarchs aren't buying Bitcoin, Russian citizens, or the government's thinking about mining Bitcoin or accumulating it. It's probably doing all of that, but it's not ready to step in today for the rails for cross-border finance, wholly, maybe marginally, but not wholly. And the same thing is for, for the government bond question that you're asking. Why would you say it's not ready? Is it more so because the necessary infrastructure isn't there or is it more infrastructure? Infrastructure is solid. Infrastructure is solid. Uh, the size isn't there. Now, just because Bitcoin is a 800 billion in market cap doesn't mean that there's 800 billion of Bitcoin to use for cross-border payments. A lot of Bitcoin has been lost. A lot of it is held tightly. A lot of it is on exchanges and very little of it is in the free float. Um, Clark Moody might have it on the dashboard. I'm not sure, um, you know, what the what the float is, um, you know, right now. But it's 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 a very small portion of Bitcoin. OK, that can actually be used to transact. And so for cross border payments to happen with Russia and other countries, Russia and those countries would have to go acquire the Bitcoin mm -hmm. and then start using it. And that would drive the price way up. So it's a bullish catalyst for Bitcoin. This is something I'm going to publish about in the next couple of days. People are think saying, uh, oh, Bitcoin can't step in today. That's bearish for Bitcoin. No, it's super bullish because it means that it, they haven't taken advantage of those rails yet. And so the marginal um trader will be a buyer not a seller um as it tries to you know make its way into that network so it can use it so i hope that answers your question yeah phenomenal answer so nick you said something very interesting as well right where the u.s treasury is issuing what was the the the, the monetary number yeah so uh there's two numbers there's net and gross the net number that the treasury issues is how much the debt goes up by every week or every month the gross number is how much they physically issue and we offset we offset that against what has matured and that's where the net number comes from so every day there's treasury debt that's maturing and the government has to pay back the bondholders but then every week they're also you know borrowing the money back so a lot of that money that they borrow just goes to pay maturity and then the excess is um introduced into the supply so we have yeah, twenty to fifty billion dollar auction sizes per bill note, meaning you know one month bill, two month bill, three month bill, six month bill, twelve month bill, two year note, three year note, five year note, seven year note, ten year note, twenty year bond, thirty year bond. Each one of those issues um, is the bills on a weekly basis and the shorter ones on a weekly basis, and then the longer ones on a monthly or quarterly basis are issued 20, 50, 20, 50 billion all the time. So you're getting numbers that can total up to Bitcoin's market cap in gross issuance in one month from the treasury. If they issued $700 billion of treasury bonds, even if they've had 500 million in maturing, that's still 700 billion of paper that they've printed in one month. 
And um, it just, it, Bitcoin is so tiny relative to these numbers that we're seeing. And I sat on a treasury trading desk, that's my background. So I got to see these issues in real time and just kept thinking about how really small Bitcoin is still today. There's so much way to go. So Nick, the question that I was gonna ask you is, we know that not even the biggest sovereign wealth funds, whether it's Norwegian sovereign wealth, they don't have the money to be buying all that. So the question is, who's buying that? The Fed is buying that, right? The Fed is buying those bonds. Am I correct to say that? Yes, the Fed owns right now about six plus trillion of treasury securities. So uh, like one fifth of the, I'm just roughly saying about one fifth of the float. And um, in terms of the, the, the net marginal buyer of treasuries, it's been only the Fed for um, the last few years um, as, you know, uh, the treasury issues all this debt and then the fed buys it through qe it's a way of monetizing the debt in an indirect way it's one of the things that offended me most as an economic student in 2010 when my professor is trying to tell me that the that qe is not monetizing the debt when i can see the actual identifier being issued by the treasury two weeks later being purchased by goldman sachs and then and then being purchased by the fed from Goldman Sachs um, through open market operations, and that's how quantitative easing works. So, uh, yes, uh, the Fed is one of the largest buyers, and when they do step away, this is now a little bit of uh, technical bond market stuff, but when the Fed steps away, it increases the net amount of treasuries that have to land in private hands. The private hands, meaning the investment universe, when they take those treasuries on, they actually have no problem taking them on as long as the yield is high enough. And that um, purchase of treasuries instead of the rest of the risk market actually can affect prices of other things. And so um, I know it's a little tangent there, but when the Fed steps away, those treasuries, they don't go unpurchased. They get purchased. But what gets unpurchased? Everything else. And so risk prices are in jeopardy when the Fed steps away. And that's a flow That's a flow issue here and uh, a little technical, but it's, it's very important. So in accounting, that's kosher, right? This mechanism that they have to buy, uh, you know, buy the things that they're issuing. But the way that I see it is a little bit of black magic, right? Because it, there's really no buyer of these bonds there. It's like as if the analogy that I want to make, it's like uh, in the Monopoly game, it's like as if the bank was a player. And one of the rules that it says in the Monopoly is that the bank never runs out of money, right? So well, I, I want to say something, though, Nico, because it's very you're, you're bringing up a very important point. But I will say the point, the reason I bring out the, the chain reaction is because we don't actually know the answer to that. If the Fed steps away, I believe everybody ends up buying U.S. treasuries and not everything else, meaning not stocks, not corporate bonds, not high yield, not emerging market stocks, not emerging market currencies. The lack of liquidity from the Fed creates a fear complex that drives people into treasuries and away from risk assets. 
So we will, I don't think we'll ever know because whenever the Fed steps away, risk prices crash and U.S. Treasury prices go up mm-hmm. um, um, in, in, in all of that liquidity crisis. So um, it's why the Fed will never step away. It's why the dollar is permanently in disrepair. That's what I talk about in layered money. And it's why Bitcoin is the sensible long position over a long period, time period, because the dollar is dying a slow death because the Fed can never step away. So this is, this is a, first of all, is a fascinating conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you, Nick. Um, so, uh, Nick, it, it, will there ever be a time and, you know, you, you emphasize the fact that all, clearly not now or in the, you know, the recent future, um, or, you know, the next couple of years, but how will this transition happen? How will these big, giant financial institutions, you know, because it's what you said, right? The the bonds are the staple point or the, the stability of the financial world. That's how people see bonds. How do you ever see that changing in the future? I know it's very hard to see it right now. Like it was very difficult to see 10 years ago that Bitcoin would become legal tender of a, of a sovereign country, right? But, you know, and we are getting into speculation territory. Um, but yeah, how do you see that transition playing out, Nick? Like h- how, you know, in your mind, you know, you clearly you have experience in this. Do you see it ever happening? Um, what needs to change, et cetera, et cetera? Right now, the importance of government bonds in the current financial system and the rails it's it's something that's not going away anytime soon and it is why i talk about bitcoin adoption happening at the margin because you have you'll have smaller countries add bitcoin to their reserves and those reserves are were previously held in u.s treasury securities so that type of activity is what i'm looking toward not necessarily looking for Citibank to start housing Bitcoin. They're just not going to, because especially the American banks, European banks that are primary dealers, they are primary dealers because the word primary means they are obligated to show up at the treasury auctions in the primary market and engage with the uh, tra- with the Fed and the investing public to deal those treasuries they're dealers and they are in the primary market so as long as we have primary dealers um and this you know trio of the fed the treasury and the primary dealers working their magic and you're their black magic as you say um they're just it's just going to be status quo you'll look at the bitcoin price for the signal as to how the rest of the world is viewing that status quo but that status quo isn't going away it's going to keep going the Bitcoin price is going to be our signal. That I love that. That that's fascinating, Nick. We're running out of time, so I want to hit you with one last question, which is, and and you said this to me when we had our long format style podcast, and I thought it was fascinating. You said that central banks' reaction to Bitcoin was central bank digital currencies. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yes. Bitcoin is an innovation that we've never seen before as a human society, right? It has taken value and made it scarce and digital at the same time. That's not something that's ever existed before. When the world woke up to this this fact over, let's say, from 2010 to 2013, 
Bitcoin had its first uh, entrance to the mainstream stage where people recognized that this was a new technology, maybe early stages of the Internet potential. And central banks and banks woke up and said, there's something going on here that we didn't in innovate. We didn't create it, but it is it is a threat to us. It's an it's an existential threat right now, but it's there. People are into digital money that's digitally native, and they understand to the tune of $10 billion market cap at the time, they understand that it's not the same thing as your iPhone deposit balance at Wells Fargo. Those are not the same type of digital money. Um, central banks, the Bank of England is where the first speech came out of. They recognized that this was the case. And so they had to do basically a PR campaign for themselves to uh, continue their relevancy in going into the future. So they said, we'll steal Bitcoin as a framework, modernize our financial infrastructure, but it won't be anything like Bitcoin. We won't even, we won't even reference it. We'll call it something else. We'll use private solutions and we'll pretend like Bitcoin doesn't matter because we have this new thing that we'll try out. So um, yeah, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's success, early success, sparked a fear in central banks that made them have to do something. And we still don't know the final form that it will take, but there's plenty of speeches and papers that have been written um, over the last several years about CBDC. Absolutely. The Fed just released, it was like a 40-page document uh, we covered on the show. Nick, how, last question. How will this play out, the battle between CBDCs and Bitcoin? I think it, it will play out in a market-driven way. Uh, I said that the price will reflect the situation. I still believe that um, we are heading into, not heading into, I'll say, we are in a multipolar world now. Uh, this is the new geopolitical framework that we all have to go with. It's not U.S. only. It's not U.S. versus China. It's it's everybody for themselves. And um, I'll plug a geopolitical strategist and friend of mine real quick. His name is Marco Papich. P-A-P-I-C. He gave a great interview this week about the Russia situation. He's reminding us that the Huawei situation where the United States is trying to get countries around the world to ban Chinese 5G technology because of this bipolarity that the U.S. thinks it's in, they barely got anybody to go along with it. So the U.S. has no pull on the global stage anymore. Um, China is up against uh, a lot of issues domestically. Um, demographic issues, energy is issues, their advance on the global stage is probably done for the next several years, according to uh, Marco. And that, and then you bring in Putin trying to flex his muscles. We are in a multipolar world. And so in a multipolar world, any country that adopts Bitcoin is a win for Bitcoin because it's not going to have this equal and opposite reaction from a bipolar world and so the again it at the margin the advance just keeps happening and um over a long enough time horizon bitcoin starts challenging you know first it'll be um the yen then it'll be the renminbi then it'll be the pound then it'll be the euro 
and all of a sudden you'll have the dollar and Bitcoin um, on equal footing in terms of who's using what rail across the world over over the next uh, course of many, many years. Fascinating. Thank you so much, Nick. But Phil, there was an open source software release today. Why don't you tell everybody about it? Software releases brought to you by CypherSafe. Check them out. CypherSafe.io. It's the best place to store your Bitcoin seed, store your seed in the Cypher wheel or the all new Cypher grid comes complete with punch tool and tamper resistant wire and disappears because of my green screen. We've got Bitcoin dash s version 1.9.0 that was released it's down below in the show notes guys don't forget we release every episode in audio only as well don't forget to check us out on apple Podcasts, spotify and anchor awesome thank you phil all right guys that was the show but before we go i want to give a very special shout out to our awesome guest he is the author of layered money in the book he takes you into the origins of how money has evolved to function in a layered manner very cool i also want to give a very special shout out to our awesome sponsor repheart.com phil and i wear the hoodies every day and you can take advantage of the link down below for 15 percent off anything on the store repheart.com guys if you enjoyed the show you know what to do smash that like button and of course if you want to continue hearing the catastrophic fails from the shitcoins and the Bitcoin news from the pleb perspective. Definitely consider subscribing to Simply Bitcoin. And we'll see you when we get back from Vegas, guys, on Tuesday. To quote our awesome guest, the dollar is dying a slow death because the Fed can't walk away. 